Hi, I'm Alexandra Roxo, your host of the Holy Fuck podcast. I've created this podcast because I want to explore how the mystical touches us in our everyday lives, how the sacred and profane move together like two sides of the same coin. I found that in modern spirituality, we often separate the sacred and the profane. We look at certain things as being holy and good and others as being bad. And I've actually found that the most magical part of life is finding the divinity, the healing, and the transformation in all of it. In this podcast, you can expect to hear stories from people on all sorts of walks of life. You'll hear from a doctor, a sex worker, a poet, a motivational speaker, an activist, a mother, a birth doula, and all sorts of other people who are walking on an embodied path of healing and transformation as a soul awakening this lifetime. Each one of our guests will be sharing their mystical and numinous and spiritual awakenings, how the sacred has touched their lives and the profane too, how they have explored life through sex, drugs, birthing, meditation, prayer, experiencing death and life, and all sorts of different elements that God, Goddess Divine, speaks to us through. If you found that you're also a rebel mystic who doesn't just fit into the simple ideas of good and bad, of spirituality, but sees the nuance that life has to offer us, then I hope you find a home with me here in this podcast. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. On today's Holy Fuck podcast, we have such an incredible, inspiring story. Today's guest is Marley Liss, and she's inspired me so much when I heard her story and the way she brought restorative justice to her own experience of sexual trauma. I was really, really touched. And in this podcast, we do go into the story of Marley's case and sexual trauma and what happened. So, you know, it's a tender one. And for many of us women, it's tender. We've gone through these experiences and can bring stuff up and it's also really healing. So I encourage you to listen, even if it feels a little edgy, make sure you have some support. Um, make sure maybe you listen with a friend if you think it will be a little too tough for you. Um, but I think you can handle it and I think it actually will be healing for you. Please, please, um, you know, enjoy, let us know what stood out, um, contact Marley, tell her how amazing she is. I'm sure it doesn't hurt her to keep hearing it. All right, everybody enjoy. Hi everybody. Welcome to the Holy Fuck podcast. I am here today with Marley Liss, who is an incredibly inspiring woman. She is a sensuality coach and she has a story that really spoke to my heart. She reached out to me and I'm going to let her uh, introduce herself and bring us into her world. And then I have so many juicy questions for you, Marley. So let's just get started. Tell us in your own words, who you are and why this story has found its way here into our lives. Amazing. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And um, wow, who am I? Yeah. Um, I am a sensuality coach and an advocate and I'm myself. <laughs> I feel really like in this moment, in this chapter, like all of myself is being invited to the table, to every spot by me. And that feels really good. Really like a moment of arrival. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and so my my story, part of my story is that, I know it's not your whole story, but the yes. one that you reached out to me, you told me about. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> is that so? I fought for my personal sexual assault case to become the first in North America to conclude with restorative justice, and that. Means, and before you, yeah. before okay, great, you're gonna yeah. go into it anyway. I was gonna say, like, could you give us a good definition of what restorative justice is? Yes, 100%. Um, So restorative justice is rooted in indigenous, Jewish, and Mennonite cultures. And it's- What was the last one you said? Mennonite. Mennonite. Okay, cool. Yeah. So Do people know who Mennonites are? Do you want to tell them? I'm not the best person to define what (laughs) Mennonite cultures are. And I don't want to offend anyone, but I do- Are are they related to like some sort of an offshoot related to Amish culture? That is my understanding. Or Quaker. I I think there's an Amish culture relation, but okay, I'm, cool. I'm not like my roots are in Judaism. So okay. I'm like, you know, do you, are you, do you come from a Jewish background? I do. Yeah. Okay. My whole family is Jewish and it's been, that's been a whole journey too, to reclaim that, but staying on track with this. Okay. 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 Is, Everybody um, just so we know where <laughs> restorative justice came from. It's very yes. important. Indigenous, Jewish, and Mennonite. We're all going to Google Mennonite culture after this. Okay. Keep 100%. going. <laughs> um, yes. So very, very, very simply put, it's, it's a process that prioritizes repair over punishment when it comes to justice. So obviously we're all super familiar with our punitive justice system, which like focuses on what's a suitable punishment for the perpetrator. Um, But this looks at, well, what was the harm actually caused and how can we address that? How can we find some closure and repair um, relationships and, and harm? So in my case, that looks like my assailant going to therapy for about six months. Okay, I want to take you back. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, is anything around telling the story feel re-traumatizing? I know you will tell it in a way that isn't re-traumatizing to you. I'm sure you have mm-hmm. done that before. Um, just for all of our listeners to give you, um, I don't like the word trigger warning. I think something about that just feels so like not yummy and kind mm-hmm. and nourishing. Like. It sounds like something that would be like at a gun shop. So um, I just want to maybe call it a sensitive subject that could impact Mm -hmm. different people in different ways based on your own background. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who has experienced sexual trauma, um, which I think most people have in some regards, some is more violent and direct and some is more indirect. And there's a whole spectrum there, which we could get into, talk about some of that in my book. But if you're someone who has experienced sexual trauma in a way that maybe still feels tender, maybe you're still working on it in therapy in your own healing process, just remember, take a few deep breaths as Marley tells her story. Um, and come with an open heart. Maybe if you're like at work, pause and listen to this when you can take care of yourself and, and, you know, have a moment afterwards. Or if you're someone who you're like, you know what, I've worked 
so much in that regard that I could I could have conversations about it at the grocery store. Everyone's <laughs> experience of trauma is so different how it lands in our body, how it lives in our nervous system. So just presencing that because I do want to hear the story of what happened and what led you into the process of choosing or advocating for restorative justice. So would you be able to start there for us? Yes, a hundred percent. And thank you for that. Um, yes, so important. So back in 2016, I mean, even like just leading up to this, this assault, I was actually living on an ashram for the divine feminine. And I had that that was in British Columbia in Canada. Uh, was it I a particular just, guru? You don't have to say who the guru is, but was it an Indian guru? Yeah, it was through Swami Radhananda. And um, that was like, I magically ended up there. I was 21. I was into yoga, but not so deeply. And I sort of magically ended up there and um, spent the whole summer immersing myself in like divine feminine empowerment, which was blowing my mind at the time. Like I did not know that world. I was like, oh my gosh. And just let's also <laughs> break that down for people. Um, yeah. You know, what did that mean for you? What did that mean at that particular ashram? Because I mean, there's so many different traditions that honor the feminine faces of God, goddess divine. So what did that look like there? Mm -hmm. We were we were basically exploring like goddess archetypes. Um, so like goddess Kali, the Hindu goddess, right? That's representing like destruction and anger mm -hmm. and rebirth and all these things. Um but, but so, so studying the yeah. pantheon of the goddesses, yeah, yeah, the feminine faces there, and I mean, I think through in the yogic world they're looked at less as archetypal um, as archetypes, but actually as like really full power deities, full mm -hmm. power deities. And I think in the West we often interpret them archetypally, or we sort of. Um, you know, sort of as if it's like a little homeopathic tincture or a not homeopathic, but like a, you know, medicinal tincture that you can dose on. I think that would be engaging with it as like sort of the archetypal, but in my understanding and in, in the, in the particular culture or religion, it's like, those are full power deities, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you were, you were studying and kind of getting to know those feminine deities. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, I'd say too, like such a big part of that experience was just being in a com communal type space with women, mm -hmm. with so many women of all ages and stories. And so mm -hmm. I think that piece is what blew my mind the most. And I was like, just became so aware of women's stories and mm -hmm. what we go through and what has us end up on an ashram, a healing center, right. a spiritual path. Yeah. So yeah. I had a next level. Like when I left the ashram, I was very committed. I was like, wow, I'm going to dedicate my life to working with women, mm. women's empowerment, all these things. And just one week later um, is when I experienced this rape. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So... Wow. It was, it was a wild contrast, wild contrast. Um, I was going to say that I was not prepared for, I think none of us obviously are ever prepared for sexual assault. Yeah. Um, 
But I, it was such an extreme to go from that deeply, deeply, deeply healing, respecting reverence for the feminine space more than I'd ever experienced yeah. in, into that. Um, and without going into too many details, I can yeah. share like that basically looks like me going out to a club mm-hmm. and having some drinks, mm-hmm. which I worked through a lot of self-blame around that. There's mm-hmm. so many narratives around that. And um, towards the end of the night, I lost my friends, you know, my friends I was supposed to sleep at their apartment and I just couldn't find them anywhere. No idea where they are. I knew that one of the them who lived at that apartment was home. So I was like, okay, I have plans to sleep there. I'm just going to like get myself a cab and go there. Tried calling them, wasn't working. It's okay. I know they're there. And towards um, me leaving, this man approached me and was right away very, very, very handsy. And I was like, I'm just looking for my friends, getting ready to go. Like, oh, I'll help you look for your friends. No problem. I'm like, okay. We started looking around. Um, we can't find them. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just going to go and get a cat. Like, oh, I'll make sure you get a cat. Like, okay. And we go to the street and I say to the driver, um, I need a cab. He's like, tell the driver where you're going. I'm going to this building. And he actually, this is in Toronto. This is a big city. He lived in the same building. What? Yeah. Yeah. So what? he's like, are you kidding me? Like, that's where I live. Let's just split the cab. Let's just split the cab. And he really lived there, obviously. Yes, he really lived there. He really lived Yeah. So we got to this building. And again, in the cab, he was being so incredibly handsy to the point where I was like, I'm very surprised that the driver, the the male driver is not saying anything. You know? Because I was like, hey, man, I'm really drunk. I just want to go to bed. Like, you know. Um, So we get to the building. We get to the front. And I'm like, I can't fucking remember their unit number. And so I start calling my friend again and again. She's not answering. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to pass out. I'm so tired. I don't know what to do. He's like, well, you can keep trying to call them, but you're welcome to just sit on my couch or whatever, get some water while you're waiting. Like, okay. Again, worked through so much self-blame around that moment. Yeah. Um. But so then I I went to his unit and for like five minutes, he's like, here, you can lie down here, have some water. And he just left. And I was like, nice. Okay. And then he came back like five minutes later and like instantly pulled my pants down. Um, And I was like, whoa, um, like, I'm really like, I'm about to pass out. I'm so tired right now. Like, I'm not available. I'm not here for this right now. And, uh, and then he started touching me and he's like, he said, but it still feels good. Right. And I said, no, which was also a huge thing to work through. And then, um, and then he assaulted me for like four or five hours until the sun came up and, um, I covered my mouth at some points, didn't listen to my no at one point he like left for a minute and i was just totally there frozen and he came back with a condom and like penetration so it was it was horrible obviously um and when he was finished he like went to the bathroom and i was just lying there frozen and at some point i was like the sun is up 
Like I was like, the sun, like the sun is up. Like it is a new fucking day. Like, and something about that, like brought me back and I jumped up and I grabbed my stuff and I ran out of his apartment and I, I got a a cab and I like went back to my place in such a frenzy, like, like stuff was like half changing in the elevator. Like so chaotic. Um, and I mean, I can just keep going really. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I got, I got back to my place and I remember standing outside, like my dear soul sister, like still dear soul sister. I remember standing outside her room because she was my roommate at the time. And I feel like I stood there for 20 minutes with my hand raised to knock on her door. And I was like, this clear voice of, you can either tell her what happened or you might not ever say anything. Like this is the moment. And, and so I knocked and I, and I told her and we literally Googled what, what do you do when your friend is raped? We literally yeah. Googled it and it's like, um, go to the hospital, get a rape kit, like report all these things. Right, 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 right. And this is part of just one reason why I'm so passionate about my story because we don't know our, our options at that moment, we don't know, like we're not, and obviously we're not in a place to be making empowered, clear decisions. Like, oh yeah, no way. Yeah. So, so we kind of went through those motions and, um, that was a whole thing. Did you ended up going to the hospital and all that went to the hospital and actually they were like, um, our nurses are understaffed right now. You'll have to come back in 24 hours. Make sure you don't shower. Oh, Jesus Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Did you go to a different hospital. <laughs> we we went to a different one. We went to like a, a woman's one, and the the actually the nurse was a literal guardian angel. Aww. Like she cried with me, and I was like, "You must do this job, unfortunately, every day." Like, wow, the space yeah. holding. Like, wow. Yeah. And to be there with me emotionally, because I oh. I came across pl- plenty of desensitized people who were just right. Um, so I did the rape kit, and then after she's like, "Okay, so now you can either report or not report." Those are the two options: report or nothing. Um, and they're not the two options, is what I've learned now. Okay. But that's that's what I was told, right? Um, so I didn't want nothing. I was like, what am I am I supposed to go home and like watch Netflix? Like, I don't want I don't want nothing. And so I chose to report. And t- technically that was me, and I it wasn't, but technically that was me consenting to a three-year punitive process. Um, where I did go to court, I did do photo lineups. I did have to give evidence and all these, all these horrible things. Um, and so about two years after that is when I went to the preliminary trial, which is like, is there enough evidence for a criminal trial? Um, and that was awful. And at the same time, I was doing all this deep healing, like this world that, that like you so beautifully embody and teach about where it's like actual healing <laughs> like mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in the body, like committing to the heart, like breaking cycles of, of hurt 
and yeah. trauma. And so to have those two parallels happening at the same time, this deep healing world and the punitive system. Yeah. It's like this does not, what is the point Doesn't make of sense. this? And Feeling, just I want to yeah. interrupt you real quick there. What did the mm-hmm. deep healing work look like that you were doing simultaneously while waiting the trial? Like, what did that look like for you? Oh my gosh. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this, this trauma. It's, it was like all the grief I had never processed in my life was like floodgates open. Like it was really the thing that like, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of dark night of the soul journey. Um, and I, I got to a point where I was considering taking my life. Mm. And at that moment I was like, well, my, my healing is kind of do or die right now. Um, and I, I dove into it. Like I dove into it and actually I'll share because we, we meet in this, like writing is one of the biggest things that got me through it. Yeah. It really Mm -hmm. was. I I've been journaling since I was like eight I have yeah. journals of my whole life. And uh, I would literally like after the assault, like I'd wake up at 4 a.m. and just write and then mm. like go back to bed. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started sharing my writing, that's when I was like, oh, other people are, are can re- other people can find healing through this. Yeah. And that the power of, of that creativity and such a destructive time was what made me stay yeah on the planet I was like I can make something yeah so creativity was really the healer were you also doing traditional therapy during that I did um traditional therapy um I did like I I went to see a Reiki practitioner um I got really deep into like feminist literature, like, mm-hmm. like what is rape culture and being like, Oh my gosh. Right. Like, and that's so liberating, pieces. honestly, when you go through something to become almost like a researcher or scholar around it and to understand why your soul is now a part of the collective narrative there. And like, that is, it's such a, a powerful and empowering thing to do. Yes. Exactly. Like a hundred percent. And then yeah. I also did my yoga teacher training at that time. And not because oh, yeah. I was like, time for me to become a yoga teacher. But I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I need the community. Yeah. I was like, I need the community. Yeah. So I did that. Um, I, I was studying social work. So I kept doing that and educating myself in a liberating yeah. way, like you were just saying. And then about, about a year after the assault, I started discovering Tantra and sacred sexuality and somatic healing and that blew my mind Mm. I was like oh my gosh like because all the Mm. so much of the healing I had done had been out out up and out of the body yeah and this was like yeah yeah. so healing Mm. so healing okay so Um, you're doing all that simultaneously while preparing to go back into court Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yes it was like a whole a whole thing. And, um, so I went to court and it was horrible and yeah. dehumanizing. And he was there in the courtroom or he was there in the court. So I was on the stand for about five hours being oh. drilled with questions and he's sitting in the courtroom looking at and the And you floor. had to hire like a good lawyer. 
So even even more strange. I'm from Canada, so this okay. could be different. But we're not technically the victim. Uh-huh. We're the witness to a crime done to their crown, the state. Oh my freaking! I can't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can't. <laughs> so I'm just a witness to this crime that was done to the state. Like what? I'm okay. so sorry, but what the fuck? Okay. It's ridiculous. And, and also, there's so many things. I'm also like, I, w- I, I wasn't out as gay at the time, but I'm like a gay Jewish woman. And they're like, we need you to swear on the Bible that you'll tell the truth. And I'm just like, I feel like we're pl- playing dress up and the judge is wearing a costume. And it's just like, none of this is real. Yeah. Okay, so okay, so that all that shenanigans is happening, and then <laughs> what? Tell me. Yes. So so after that, they were like, there is enough evidence for us to go to tr- to criminal trial, um, in the future. I was like, okay. And to be honest, I totally put it out of my head. I was like, I'm doing pretty well. Like, I'm gonna keep focusing on my healing and like like activism and all these things. I'm going to keep focusing on that. Yeah. What was it like to see him in that courtroom the first time? It was really hard. It was really hard. Did he like look, give you a mean look or like look at you like, oh my God, or did he look away or what was that like? You know, I think that I really avoided looking at him. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I just remember he was looking at the ground the whole time and I remember um, his brother was there with him. And I just, it's like, wow, he has a brother. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that was really hard. Yeah. And I was proud of myself for being able to speak on the stand because I felt like the biggest thing I'd lost through this whole thing was my voice. Wow. Okay. I was like, my voice has no power. Like I can say no and it doesn't do any. And I felt I had lost my voice completely. And I remember someone was prepping me to answer questions on the stand. And I, it's like my voice ate itself during this prep. Like I was like, like I opened my mouth and nothing came out. And I was like, I can't do this. Like I actually can't. And, and then I did. Yeah, and then I did, and I got on the stand with like all these crystals in my pants and my run, and but I did it, and I was I was proud of myself for that. Yeah, um, but but other than that, it was so hard and felt so entirely unproductive. Like yeah. what? So so then I kept focusing on my healing and all these things, and then one year after that. I got subpoenaed for the criminal trial. And at that point, I was like, I think I'm going to drop the charges. I was wow. like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. And I said to my friend, my close friend, I was like, you know, if it was my world, not if we wouldn't deal with it this way. And keep in mind, I didn't know restorative justice existed at all. I had no idea it existed. And I was like, but I was like, if it was my world, like, we would cry together. Like I would sit down with this person that I don't know, stranger to me. We would cry together and I would like express how I was hurt and I would show up like a human with emotions 
And like, we would actually grieve for this thing and try to find some kind of closure. And he would actually do the healing that he so clearly needs to do. Um, and, and I said that to her and I had said that a few times to close friends, but I, I had deemed it so delusional, uh-huh. um, that I was just like, that's just like a, a little fantasy that I had. Yeah. Um, but when I said it to her, she said, so make it happen. <laughs> wow. And that was like a big moment. Like I literally, I literally, I actually remember so well, like I re- remember feeling like spirit impregnated me at that moment with like an idea. Wow. 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 It was like, it was going, it was going to happen. Like it was just like, yeah, make it happen. And, and it just like, I had never considered, and this is relatable to all of us. I think I had never considered validating my desire to such a degree that I'd ask for it. And in this huge, (laughs) against this huge system is like a desire that's outside of that. Yeah. So she said that and it clicked something for me. And then I got it to research her mode. And I started thinking of everything I'd met, everyone I'd met along my healing journey. And I was like, who might know anything about this? I posted on my, oh no. And then I, I remember someone I'd met when I had gone to a Tantra training in Portugal Mm. And I was like, she had mentioned something about them doing things differently in the justice system in Germany. That's how vague it was. Um, But I remembered that she said that. And so I messaged her. I was like, what were you talking about when you said that? She was like, look up restorative justice. So I looked it up and I was like, this is the name for what I've been wanting. Like that's, this exists. Yeah. And it's, and it's been done in indigenous and, Jewish communities like for so long and never through the courts for this. It's done sometimes through the courts for like 10 year old shoplifters kind of thing. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so I was like, Oh my gosh, this is it. And then I posted in my Instagram story. I was like, does anyone know anything about restorative justice? And someone answered being like, I don't, but my friend knows this lawyer. You should look up this lawyer. And so I looked him up and he's like a huge advocate for restorative justice. I contacted him. He's like, let's meet at a coffee shop. We met at a coffee shop. I was like, this is what I want. Um, and, and also like, he was like a lawyer in a suit who was also carrying a yoga mat. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay. Um, so we met at a coffee shop and we talked about this and he's like, yes, I want, I want to help you access this and have this and he's like I also wholeheartedly believe that this is a valid way and an important way to deal with this um so we basically called a meeting with the crown attorneys which is same as prosecutors and we went in and they didn't know why we were going in but we went in and they were like what's going on like you want to drop the charges like what's happening and right away this is very interesting because there was two women and one I feel is like the patriarchally, patriarchally made woman. And the other is like the kind of revolutionary what's next new paradigm type type woman. And they were both there. And the first one 
um, the more patriarchal one was like right away. She's like, oh, you don't think you're capable of a trial? Like, you don't think you're strong enough for a trial? No, like you're a strong girl. You can do a trial. We'll do a trial. And I was like, whoa, um, whoa. And the lawyer was like so grounding. Hey, actually, we, we came in here with a vision and this is really what we want. And so at that point, I'm like, I really want restorative justice. I want my assailant to go to therapy. And then I want us to do like a restorative justice circle, like a mediated circle. And the patriarchally made woman, I would say her name, but there's like an NDA situation. Um, <laughs> but she was like, first she was like, don't you understand that rape is bad? And I was like, of course, like I went through it. Like I went, of course. Um, but what I said was, I think it's so bad that we have to do something different because what we're doing isn't working. And she's like, okay. And, um, and then the other woman who was sitting there, the more like revolutionary one who I am allowed to name, her name's Kara, and I love her. She, she said, and I would never think to hear these words in the context of the system. She said, Marley, what's your dream vision for, for how this all goes? And, and that like blew my mind especially because from the moment I'd reported, no one had ever asked me what I wanted. Mm -hmm. No one had ever been like, your voice matters here. Yeah. So that was like, oh my God, she's, she actually is asking me. Um, so, you know, I said that vision of, of her sort of justice and everything. And she was like, that is so important. She mm -hmm. was like, yes. And just on a very practical level, she was like, court is re-traumatizing for victims. Mm -hmm. Rapists almost always get acquitted. Um, when they don't get acquitted, they get incarcerated for a couple of years. And then they come out and they're more angry and more ashamed and more isolated and very likely to re-offend. Um, so what, where is that taking us, right? It's just like, to me, like putting the same things in a laundry machine and turning it around yeah. and expecting to open it and take out new clothing. It's like, does yeah. that make sense? Um, so we left that, that meeting and my lawyer was like, it's kind of out of our hands now. Like, let's see what happens. And the two women started fighting for the case, um, for like two months. I had no idea what was going to happen. Had to like come to terms with, you know, I might drop the charges I might, uh, I didn't want to go back to trial. I was like, if this doesn't happen, I'm dropping the charges. Um, so I was like, we're either going to like make history and have this like huge restorative process or, or nothing. So I had to like mm. accept that and grieve that and feel that. And then um, about two months later, my, my lawyer called me and he was like, badass revolutionary woman, Kara, like has made it happen. And we're going to have restorative justice and your assailant wow. is starting therapy right away. And eventually you'll meet in this circle. And that was like the most powerful, healing, beautiful, emotional moment of my life. Wow. Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. For so many reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think one of the biggest ones was, 
through this trauma, I had started to judge my, my, the, the part of me that expects love. I started to judge her. I was like, that was stupid. Why would you expect love? Like, look at all the shit that happens in this world. Like so naive. I started, Mm -hmm. I started to, and when I got that call, I was like, oh, she is so powerful. Like the part of me that expects love is so powerful and is here to like help transform systems, help bring healing, not just to get shit on. I was like, and I, and I just was like, wow. Like, and I feel like I, I re- like in that moment, like my younger self was like brought back to me. And I was like, wow, like, thank God I didn't give up on her. Like, thank God I didn't lose sight of my, my dreams and my mm-hmm. capacity to like see things beautifully. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. how long was it until you guys sat in the circle together? So that after that, there was about, I think it was about seven months where mm-hmm. he was in therapy and mm-hmm. that was so meaningful. I was like, he is unpacking rape culture in this very moment. He is addressing whatever traumas and conditioning led him to this violation. Um, And something I'll share as well was that during, and this is a bit um, intense. So I love what you said of like sensitivity warning, deep breath, like during the actual assault, there were several times where he would kind of pause and be like, I'm so sorry. This is so fucked up. (gasps) wow and then continue yeah and that like I think I said blew my mind a lot in this interview but it really blew my mind because I'm like because we've always been taught that that a rapist is like a psychopathic sociopathic monster in the bush who doesn't feel anything and is like the bad guy and whatever and and him showing me that conflictedness yeah forced me to humanize him yeah and wow. that was so confusing and ultimately played a really big role in everything that yeah. followed like this whole resort of just everything I'm doing now um and so yeah that that was like so powerful to know that he was in therapy and i obviously believe in transformation right like so he was doing that and i was almost in this state of celebrating i was like i fucking did it i took this shit thing and i turned it into like purpose and helping people and impact and whatever and that was just like so empowering and i was almost like riding that wave of celebration and yeah. like so well, because it was a victory already that it yeah. was it was and then about one month before the circle i was like holy fucking shit am i am i actually about to go sit in a circle with this person and the part of me that was more like heart racing like was like i don't know about this um and i just want to who was in the circle with with you like what support did you have going into that that yeah yeah so something really beautiful about restorative justice is that it's community oriented 
So it acknowledges that a trauma impacts more than the people who are actually there. Right. Because I always say like this changed my mom's life. This changed my sister's life. Um, So they were both there in the circle, not just as support, but as people impacted who were there to, to find healing and closure as well, which I think is amazing. Like, I think that's so important. Um, so they were in the circle, my mom, my sister, me, the lawyer, um, this woman, Kara, who yeah. like, made it happen. And again, they weren't there as like legal professionals, blah, blah, blah. They were there as people who have been emotionally moved and impacted by this story. Yeah which is, it's so human. It's so, yeah. the whole thing is so human. And then my assailant was there as well as one of his friends uh-huh. um, and two mediators. Hello, quick interlude here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, I'd love for you to check out my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, my guide to healing yourself, reclaiming your voice and standing in your power. Publishers Weekly called it a sharp, forceful debut. It was one of Bustle's best summer reads and a bestseller in three categories on Amazon. These are my methods that I'm teaching to inspire you, challenge you, bring up your resistance so you can face it and get free and unleash your gifts. How to let life make love to you, enjoy every bit and find the magic in all of it guide. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound and Sounds True or by visiting alexandraroxo.com slash book. Thank you so much. It means the world to me to have your support for my work. Back to the podcast. And so are the mediators, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've heard of the author Mirabai Starr. She wrote a book called Wild Mercy, but in the book she talks about being in a restorative justice circle where she is um, a grief counselor and kind of a mediator of the space and how profound it was. And, and that, um, you know, I started thinking about who are the people that mediate that type of space. That's like really deep space holding. So I'm curious, like, are those, were they social workers? Were they psychotherapists? Who, what kind of people were mediating the circle? Yeah. So I don't know too much about their, their background, but they're, they're, it's a volunteer based position Wow. where they've gone through a lot of training mm-hmm. around mediation. And because this was a circle with more intensity versus like the 10 year old shoplifting example, I was saying, um, they really brought in mediators who'd done like a hundred circles before. Well, okay. And even arriving to the circle, they were like, we've already put in 50 hours of work to creating this circle. Um, And it's so, it was so. And it's a volunteer job. It's a volunteer job. Wow. That's really beautiful. And something they said before, because we all connected with the mediators one-to-one before to address some fears, to talk about what we want to get out of this. Um, Again, just such a level of care and humanness and and space for emotions yeah that just does not exist in the punitive system Mm -hmm. literally us embodying the opposite of patriarchy like so a circle a circle is you know just even that in itself is that yeah okay so you go in and you're able to share your fears before coming into that circle 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was, I was terrified. And, and it was also so powerful. And I remember like all along, all along through this whole journey, I've had that same with what I said about creativity. Like the biggest driver has been like, this is so much bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. So much. And I remember actually like feeling so connected to my ancestors before this circle and just out loud, I was like, I've been walking towards the circle for a thousand years. Wow. How gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. All the women that never sat and got to speak up. Exactly. Exactly. I was like feeling of the witch trials and I was feeling of this like ancient wounds. Yeah. And I was just like, we're sitting down together, like we're sitting down together. Like, yeah, it was very, very, very powerful. Um, And so we got to the, the circle, the space that day and the room is like set up with so much care. There's like loving quotes on the wall. There's a whole altar. There's a whole altar in the middle. There's a piece of a tree and the tree is like, there's like a big piece of a tree with all these different branches. And they're like, look how different all the branches are. And yet they coexist on this tree. And I was just like, wow, this, this versus court. <laughs> yeah, completely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like there was like that room was created with heart mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. no heart in the courtroom. There's, there's mm. none. Um, so we arrived and the first thing they did was they said, we ask that you greet every single person in this space in whatever way feels good for you. Oh my gosh. Okay. I've only met my assailant during the assault in court. That's it. I've, I've never, you know, um, so that was like wild to me. Did you go around or you stayed in your chair? Um, it was like as we were walking in, because we were kind of the last people to walk in, and they were kind of like, "Okay, take your time." To you walked to around the circle, so you, mom and sister. Yes, yeah. Um, and so I, just, I know I did it. I said hello to my assailant, which was already like wild to me. Whoa. And uh, and I remember like my body was shaking. You know, like my yeah. body was really, I remember we were on chairs with, with wheels and I was like kind of joking about it. Cause I was like, this is ridiculous. Like my chair was shaking. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but the first thing they did was they said, write down three values you have on a piece of paper and we'll all put them in the middle. Um, I, one of the ones I wrote down was love. And one of the ones my assailant wrote down was courage. And I actually like ended up taking those papers home and like pasting them on a box and that is like the most tangible um piece of yeah of this whole transmutation um and so the mediators asked us one question which was what brought you here today and we spent eight hours speaking to that one question um going around the circle and and I was the first no I was the second person to speak after my sister and my assailant was the last and everything was so intentional even the the order was so intentional um and I think I probably spoke for like an hour and I felt like 
everything in me that was like needing to get out. I was just like, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going until I'm like, okay, there's nothing else that needs to be said. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, when it got to him, um, you know, he, he, I, I like to say like the way he showed up was beyond my expectations, but aligned with my dreams because he was remorseful. He was like teary eyed. He was present. He would like look at my mom and like put his hand on his heart. Like, and I don't know, I have no idea what he was going to be like. My biggest fear was that he'd just be like checked out. Checked like, Are we done yet? Like, you yeah. know, um, but he was there. Like he really, really, really showed up. And um, he actually shared that, that like, and this is such a wild synchronicity or I don't know what to call it. It's just wild or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What made him confront this because he was really in a space of denial mm-hmm. after he, he did this, he was just like not looking at it in himself. And then one of his closest female friends in his life was sexually assaulted in a really similar way. And she told him about that and kept saying, it's, it's my fault. It's my fault. And at some point he said to her, it's not your fault. And he said in that moment, when he said that it was like everything unlocked and he was like asked to face like all of his feelings around this and and like his own accountability like for himself um yeah like so so powerful um and then you know he did like look me in the eyes and say um I sexually assaulted you and I'm so sorry and there's nothing I can do to take it back but I hope that being here today can help and for some people, they might be like, oh, those are just words or whatever. But for me, I literally felt like a knot untied in my body and I just started bawling. And it was like a deep relief, like that I didn't even know. I didn't even know I was holding that. And I just, it was such a deep relief. And that was about four hours into the circle. And then the next four hours were like, now we've cleared so much shit. What actually do we want to bring in now to this space? And it was like, I was calling for him to further educate himself. I was like, you need to make meaning out of this in a way that I have. Because at that point I had shared my story. I had published a book. I had led retreats for women. Like I had, you know, turned it into something. And I was like, I was like, you're not going to prison, man. Like you should make meaning of this in the way that I have. And, and, uh, he got to a place where he was like, I want to help stop sexual violence. Mm. And and I don't know if that, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. If that's been followed through with. And that moment was so incredible. Um, and the, the circle literally finished. With the mediators putting on the song, here comes the sun. And then the sun started beaming through the window. And I felt the deepest sense of like, we did it. Like we took um, 
something so incredibly hard that almost caused me to take my life. Like we took that and like, and now we're here. And he asked me, he was like, with permission and respect, um, could I shake your hand as a, as a sign of, of gratitude or in respect, like some kind of languaging like that. And, and I was like, that like, he's using the language of consent. He's like respecting my boundaries. He's going to listen to what I say in response. And it was like, and I said, yes. And we shook hands and I literally feel like a friggin' ancient shit smell was broken. And I was like rewriting this story of like all of it on every level. And, um, and I left that room like so joyful, like so not even just joyful, like, but just like, mm. like humbled and grateful and like in awe yeah. of, of life. And I was like, no one's ever left a courtroom feeling like this. No one's ever. And I remember I was standing outside in the room afterwards with my mom, my sister, the lawyer, whose name is Jeff and Kara, the, the woman I was talking about. And we were like, we were like, we're going to take time to process this and to feel it. And then we're going to be fucking loud about it because this is so important and so powerful. And so that kind of brings us, I mean, a lot has happened since in between yeah. that and this, but I'm yeah. like, that does feel like, and now we're here. <laughs> I mean, I'm just speechless. It's like, wow. So incredible. So I'm so deeply moved by hearing you just share and feeling all that courage and bravery and strength and yeah. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, all of that with us. And, you know, just the millions and millions of people who have not ever gotten justice, right? And how you had that moment where you were like, what if I listened to this inner voice that says, I, I have a vision that we could be in the same room together and cry instead of me, send him to prison. And the courage that it took to listen to that um, inner voice and, and the circumstances, right? Like the, the circumstances in your life that you had already had a certain amount of, you know, self-confidence, community, spiritual practice, all of these circumstances that needed to be in place for uh, a woman to have the courage to make that decision, right? So it's like your soul was in the perfect place to be able to do this and then to be this spark for thousands of other people to speak up in whatever way and to you know, be a little piece of the dismantling of this old system, you know, that is just so huge. And obviously it's the system is a behemoth. It's like so deep and old and rigid. And yet like, we can't just sit there and, and, you know, okay it by not speaking, you know? Mm -hmm. So the fact that you had that opportunity in like in your soul's journey is just so huge. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, like, so in terms of your work, 
uh, as an advocate and, and inspiring others, like have, has there been any policy change in terms of women being allowed or told or informed about different options? Like, have you been a part of those conversations? Mm-hmm. I've a hundred percent been a part of those conversations mm-hmm. and it's, it's been, it's been interesting. It's been interesting because like here I was just over, I guess the circle was in 2019. So, you know, in 2019, I learned about restorative justice for the first mm-hmm. time. And now I've found myself in all of these conversations. Like I've spoken to government officials. I've spoken to U.S. military who are like, how do we deal with sexual assault? I've spoken to like government, like just so many, so many different people. And um, it's so incredibly stiff, <laughs> rigid, the system. And even the the uproar that was caused by this case coming through, like the the woman Kara, who really like it wouldn't have happened if she didn't you know step up in that way. She was like sent to a disciplinary hearing to see if like she should keep her job. Really, wow! And at the same time, in Ontario, in Toronto, in the province of where Toronto is. Um, it's it's legislated that every survivor, every victim should be informed of restorative justice right away. And yet no one ever is. Okay. So what I've started feeling and realizing, because at first I shared my story after a while, I like, you know, took a rest. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, bless her heart. She's probably told us this so many times. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I took a rest <laughs> and then um which is hard for me it's it's hard I that's always my reminder and um and then and then we shared and the there was a publication ban on the story and then it was lifted on the Why? same day what does that mean um it means that his my assailants lawyers were nervous they were nervous about um this getting out and and being really big and coming back to him. And there's obviously a non-disclosure agreement. Otherwise I would say his name, um, but, but I can't, um, I am, I am manifesting that one day he publicly tells the story right. and maybe we are speaking about it together. I don't know, but that's like a little idea I have Yeah. that I'm like, don't, because part of me, as I say, it deems it delusional, but I'm no, like, it's totally could be. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, so the publication ban lifted, and six articles came out on the same day. And they were like BuzzFeed, HuffPost, like Forbes, like some really big publications. And so the story was like, boom, it was out there, and I started getting like thousands of messages from primarily survivors, and um, and I kind of had two. To and actually, I I love you so much for this because I really feel you're like embodying the bridge between between like collective activist type work and deep embodiment spiritual type work. And a lot of times in my life, I felt like I'm being tugged in those mm. in two different directions. Well, so, I can't feel very different. Yes, 
And so at first I was like, the answer is a nonprofit. And I actually launched a nonprofit and I don't have it anymore, but we did it for a year. We're like looking at policy and all these things. And what we were seeing was, well, Canada has some of the best laws in the world on how to deal with sexual assault. But even though we have these laws, it's still horrible. Mm. And they're actually not even being followed. Mm. So I'm like, it's not the laws that need to be changed. It's people's like hearts and minds. It's like the police officer who feels uncomfortable offering restorative justice because he's invalidated it. Yeah. Right? Um, so I've done a lot of advocacy work that now focuses on that like changing the hearts and minds. And then thank, thank God, like divine design, there's people who are meant to work on the legislation and it's not necessarily me. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then just became so passionate about that, that bridge of like embodied activism and what happens when we reclaim our own sensuality, yeah. self-love, inner power, our voice, what happens in our own world, like in our own bodies, that's so beautiful. And then how does that ripple out? And so that's kind of informed the work I do now, which is like working with women, usually in like deep dive groups with women where we're doing that work, mm-hmm. like reclaiming, coming back to self, like feeling so empowered in our bodies and in our voices, and then seeing how does that ripple out? What is the torch that we're all meant to carry and and I like I love every day I'm like this is my life like this is what I get to do yeah yeah so beautiful yeah but I do I do hope to make it way more accessible because Mm -hmm. I've heard from hundreds thousands of survivors who want this who haven't been able to get it or it wasn't available to them And I'm like, if me, a white, cisgender, able-bodied woman has so much trouble accessing this for myself, how how next to impossible is it for so many others? And I really, really, really hope that the more that the collective starts to validate this, and I believe in the power of story, which Mm -hmm. is why I tell my story again and again and again, because it's not just my story, um, the more we validate this, like the more the collective can can wrap our heads around it. Because yeah. right now it's just so far out of people's yeah. worldview. Yeah. 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 Majorly, unless you've experienced it or someone in your family has experienced it. And and in those moments or those cases, you have an embodied sense of the excruciating suffering that people go through when they have been through sexual trauma and how it really ripples out into all areas of their lives, you know, or Mm -hmm. our lives and how the, the such varying degrees of that impact in, in similar ways, you know, Mm -hmm. I think be feeling that somehow, whether it's through hearing a story and connecting through empathy through the heart, right? Like that's where the change happens. And and that's really, it feels like the feminine way. And it's like, we're not trying to get people to understand through the head because there's not a feeling, a connection through the feeling there. It's through the heart. And it's like, I, I definitely have felt that when connecting with 
or attempting to connect with the stories of people that I haven't experienced, right, that are like someone who um, has gone through some sort of a, a genocide, you know, or um, some sort of other uh, deeply traumatic event, if I don't hear a story, feel a human, feel a heart, then why would I, why would I really give time, energy, effort into the experience? And I think that with sexual trauma, it's just been so stigmatized for thousands, if not longer, precognition of years, you know, and, and not only stigmatized, but accepted, you know, covertly accepted. And so to hear people like you actually making that move to, to speak up, it's, I know that's, it's so powerful and so beautiful and so intense. And I think Me Too was really um, a cracking open that was necessary. And, but like, it's like, so just the tip of the iceberg, it's not, you know, and it was like very kind of coming from a certain voice, right, of women. Mm -hmm. And there are so many other voices that are unheard. And like you just said, that important thing, if I, who am able-bodied, who have parents or a parent that supports me, who have enough money to do ABC, if this is this difficult for me, imagine someone else. And it's, um, yeah, it's a real, it's a real thing. We live I in love, love. I love, yeah. yeah, I just, I love what you're just saying about like empathy through feeling yeah and, and that's why it's like yes yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it's just it's it's so beautiful and I, and it's funny because well it's not funny but as you were saying that I was thinking of me too and then you brought up me too mm -hmm. and I remember saying that I felt I, I remember because me too was just about a year after this happened for me and, and I was part of a rape survivor support group at that point and we were like whoa like this is so being, intense yes yeah, like erupting it's like erupting right now and i remember saying that i i felt so devastated every time i heard this story like people's stories and someone said to me well why are you surprised like look at the stats why are you surprised and i was like i hope i'm surprised for the rest of my life when I hear trauma to that degree, because I don't want to ever get to a place where I'm like, I've accepted that that just happens and is the norm. Like, I don't want to ever get to a place where I'm like, oh, yeah, happens all the time. Yeah, that's a certain yeah. amount of complacency or numbness, right? Which numbness, most people live yeah. in because it's, I mean, what I was going to say before is just like the capacity to feel and to, um, exist and to stay in deep feeling states even when they're uncomfortable is something that I do think we have lost touch with uh, on a greater whole like especially in the western world um, our capacity to really be with each other and be with feeling and you can see this everywhere there's evidence everywhere and the amount of sort of numbing out checking out with sugar video games um, different types of pharmaceuticals etc our ability to stay with uncomfortable, deep feelings. Uh, and that's why for me doing the embodiment work that I do with women, it one of the major components is just the ability to stay with and feel uncomfortable feelings and then express them 
like largely audibly visibly and then it becomes kind of less theatrical but there is a process where it is big to unlock and un and open states of grief or rage or excitement or joy or ecstasy that have been like long locked away part of which i mean coming from certain religious cultures puritanical cultures certain cultures where women you can't scream and laugh and moan and groan and cry like deep feeling has been held in for a very long time mm -hmm. and so i definitely feel like whether it's connecting with police officers or children or other women like helping people to feel again is so huge and giving the tools and resources to like, Hey, this may get really uncomfortable. <laughs> Here's what happens. Mm -hmm. Like when the feeling starts to activate a trauma response in your nervous system and you start to go into fight or flight because this feeling reminds you of the past. Like there's definitely a lot of complexity there. It's not like just asking people to sit in those feelings without a, a guide. Like that's why people like you and I need to, train and to be very responsible and strong and able because you know it's it can be highly activating mm -hmm. to feel mm -hmm. right because yeah. you're kind of opening up sort of many deep wells in humans and if a child had really significant trauma and learned how to shut down feeling for 10 years and then as an adult you sort of ask them to open that box one must be really qualified and and um and responsible with that and i definitely f say that often in my book even if it's just you and you doing the work um around unnumbing and around coming back into the body or with a therapist coach or guide but finding someone who is really trauma-informed who understands the nervous system who understands mm -hmm. um, how to help you stabilize and um, and greatly feel right, not just create mm -hmm. a sort of like zombie stable. I'm, I'm just always in neutral gear, but <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, I want, but but I do want to hear just. Um, obviously, this will not be the only story in Marley's life that is courageous, impactful, and large, and um even though you may tell it for a few years and it can even inhabit like a foundational aspect of and, and be something that you you jump off into the next realm um where do you see like the possibility from here for you as mm -hmm. you continue to sort of let this story be material of the past that will live in the articles and in the book and whatever, but that you get to sort of venture away from, what is your vision for the next phase? Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in it. Yeah. I feel like I'm really like, I've just like moved to Mexico. Um, I came out as lesbian in January. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm in like a really gorgeous moment. And I feel like that dissonance I had between activism and like embodiment, spirituality, everything we were just talking about is totally bridged and integrated now. And, and I feel it and I feel it in my work um, and like in working with women now. Um, 
in a way that's so similar to everything you're sharing. What I've been really anchoring in lately is like whatever language we use, two coaches, whatever, like same movement, same mm-hmm. movement. Like, and um, yeah, it's been so beautiful. And I guess that is kind of what's next is this revelation of, because I didn't realize that at first, that all these women would work on themselves and then get to a place where they're like, now I want to carry a torch. Now I want to make impact. But I saw it in just the first year of doing this work. I was like, every woman, by the time we're done, our four-month, three-month journey um, is like, I want to work in disability activism and I want to make this population of whatever feel empowered and I'm ready to do it and I'm ready to grab the mic and whatever. whatever. And I'm like, like, this is the work that like lights me the fuck up and like gets me so excited. And so that is kind of what I see is like, I have this program that's all about like healing within the self and all these things, reclaiming sensuality. And now I'm kind of birthing like, after that embodied leadership like embodied gorgeous leadership where we're making epic 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 impact and we're not experiencing burnout because we're staying in our bodies we're honoring our feelings we're doing all these things we're taking huge anger and recognizing it as passion and creating from it mm-hmm. right like that is what i'm so excited yeah. about yeah I've, I've like come back to writing in a major way. I'm writing like my mm. memoir, like this story, my own voice. Um, mm. I am, I am on contract for this story to be made into like a scripted Hollywood series. So we'll see what happens with that. So cool. Yeah. And I'm just living my best, like I'm in Puerto Vallarta and it's like the gayest place in Mexico. Like it's just incredible. Like Madonna is blasting on the streets. Rainbow is everywhere. And I'm just like putting on sparkles every day and like strutting down the avenue by the beach and just like loving it so, so, so much. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, I hope that your story inspires other people to just take action, to speak up, to share and to continue living and to not let that experience define you necessarily or keep you small, but also not to ignore it. Right. So that's definitely um, such a such an empowering transformational path to be on. And I'm so honored to just have been able to have you on the podcast and hold this story. And I really hope for everyone listening that it touched you that you go follow Marley. We'll put all of your information um, in the show notes so that people can follow you and continue to be inspired by you. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Yes. Yes. So beautiful. And I'm so grateful because I remember like reading your book uh, back in November. I remember like being in my bathtub and reading your book and being like, like I'm so grateful for this human and for your work and so it's just such an honor to to connect and share with your community and everything yeah yeah I'm so glad yeah we definitely have a lot of um a lot of things in common in terms of the mission and I love what you said about you know doing the healing work and then not getting stuck there, knowing that it'll continue forever and you'll keep revisiting and tending to it, but then putting it into leadership, creativity and sharing with the world. And that's definitely, you know, something that I really am constantly trying to work, um, 
with women on is like, okay, now go, now go, go give your gifts. <laughs> so if you're listening and you're at that phase, find Marley. And um, we're just so happy to have you here today. Thank you again for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.